It's almost Christmas, y'all, but the season can last year-long because it's dad season year-long at orcacoolers.com. If you use code DADSEASON, you will save 20% off your whole order. That comes to a lot when you're getting a cooler or a tumbler, whatever it is. Be the envy of other dads in your neighborhood. Get a roto-molded cooler or these awesome tumblers. They even have one that looks like a whiskey barrel. Use code DADSEASON, save 20% at orcacoolers.com. Today's show is also sponsored by our friends at Action247.com, Tennessee's only sports book by Tennesseans for Tennesseans. There's a whole lot of stuff going on this week. I think football is happening every single day. Check out what's going on at Action247.com. Follow their socials. Use code DADS100. They will match up to $800 of your deposit up until the Super Bowl. That's crazy. There's Christmas Eve special bets. There's Christmas Day special bets. There's a tighten up in Thursday night football. Football special bet. So much going on. There's always a Friday deposit boost. Check them out. Get in on the action at action247.com. Use code DADS100. You know, I was back home. There wasn't a whole lot of radio options in Podunk. So you listened to our episodes finally? Oh, no. I just kept hitting the seek button. But so I I found like, you think I'm going to make my kids listen to me and you talk? Well, I mean, me, I'm I'm okay. I'm the boring one. You, they can't listen to you on this. But like classic country radio, man, they were just like pounding out these, these songs of like early 80s, I think, maybe late 80s. I don't know. Like, So I even like typed out these lines. They were so just epic. I felt one of them. She got the coal mine. I got the shaft. <laughs> She's acting single. I'm drinking doubles. I mean, it just kept going. Like every country song that came on, I just kept laughing to no end. I've got a list of stuff over I'm trying to incorporate into my at least like weekly vernacular already. And again, this is why you are different than me, my friend. everyone my name is john edwards with me as always or sometimes lately but hopefully always is zeke baker together we make the dad drink of bourbon wherever you are whatever time it is thank you for making us a part of your day and the hits just keep on coming i'm not going to waste any time in introducing this person this person is one of my favorite people in the whiskey industry and i will say as a long introduction i remember going into bardstown bourbon company the first time i got to go into the ferrari of the bourbon industry as i call it and I walk in and I'm wearing, I, I went with Jared Thatcher because it was another time that I was doing something that Zeke was too cool to go with me on. And Jared was actually wearing the diapers, bottles, and bourbon shirt with me. My friend who owns Boot Hill Blades, awesome knife maker. And we walk into Barstown Bourbon Company and David Mandel sees us in these diapers, bottles, and bourbon shirts. And he comes running over like, hey, I think I know you guys. Want to come in the back? Gives us this awesome tour we went everywhere just open the door to us and i think it is just so representative of who this person is and what he instilled at bardstown bourbon company when he was their ceo he is still a board member there he has now moved on to do some stuff with the kentucky bourbon festival and kentucky owl and he's one of the nicest guys you'll meet in the game thank you very much david mandel for joining dad's drinking bourbon well, John, Zeke, thank you very much. You're too kind. That is a, it was a great introduction. I remember that day very well. I appreciate it. And those are extremely kind words. Thank you. 
Well, it was extremely kind what you did that day. I mean, you didn't have to. I think it was it was not a normal business. It might have been a Saturday. Like, I don't even know why you were at the distillery that day. <laughs> you know, John, it's really funny because when I look back, you know, and you go back to those early days of starting a business, not that the Bardstown's that old. Everything that you do is, can you know, the entire business consumes you. So whether it was during the afternoon on a weekday on a Saturday night, on a Sunday morning. I mean, that's what we did. And I'll tell you, some of the most incredible conversations and interactions took place at the most unexpected times, just like that. I mean, I could tell you story after story where it was like, you know, a Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning and you have 10 guests show up or banging on the door before the distilleries, you know, even open and before we even had the restaurant open and the type of people that would come in I always tell people, never make assumptions about anyone. You know, you treat everybody as if they're your, not only your next great customer, your current customer, the next lover of the product, and you invite them in. And you do that over and over and over again, thousands of times, and you create a great company and a great brand. And that was the philosophy. I think one of the craziest things for me and Bardstown Bourbon Company is if you think about the hype that Bardstown has. And if you think about what you all were able to do at the time and bringing people in, I call the restaurant, the Grand Central Station of Bourbon. <laughs> you never knew who was going to be eating in there. You know, you, you could have Greg Snyder from Chicken Cock and Drew from Willet. You don't know who's going to be in there at what time, but y'all were young as a company. I mean, the whiskey wasn't even two years old when all these people were hanging out going on the tours and and just wanting to be in that place. That's the philosophy. And the philosophy was that this was a place that celebrated the community of making great whiskey, of enjoying great whiskey. You know, it was neutral territory. But, you know, we built our foundation on establishing a great collaborative distilling program where we worked with everybody, you know, great producers to make their products for them and celebrate them, you know, in this environment. And it was that philosophy that drove everything. And it was what drove, you know, our knowledge. It challenged us. You know, we producing everything from Jefferson's to now, you know, Kentucky Owl, which is the, you know, the company that I'm so proud to be with, you know, in my next phase of my career. But, you know, it, you looking back, um, it was that philosophy that created that environment that brought everybody in the community together, makers, visitors, and the community of Bardstown. And I think we are going to talk about just a teaser, everyone. We're going to talk about how he gets to create that culture again in what he is doing with Kentucky Owl. But patience, I want the people to know a little bit more about you. I mean, you were an entrepreneur in so many different lines of work. And I know we could do a two-hour podcast about just your whole career up until this point. But what got you into bourbon in the first place? You know, through my career, I was really blessed with having the opportunity to work with some wonderful people and being given the opportunity to have some really great challenges at a young age. And so, you know, I grew up in Philadelphia. I went to WashU for undergrad. I went to law school at Temple. Now, I came out of Temple Law School and I practiced at a great law firm in Philadelphia, Blank Rome, had some incredible mentors. And ended up giving this oper- great opportunity to go to the recount in Florida. And then I ended up uh, representing, at the time, then George W. Bush in Florida during the recount. 
joined the administration after and became uh, counsel and chairman of the National Transportation Safety Board right after 9-11, then chief of staff of the FAA. And it was on a trip when I was at the FAA that I met up with my college roommate, Dan Lind, who's also a founder of Bardstown Bourbon Company, and Garnett Black, who worked with me at FAA, and was drinking Red Bull and vodka at the Sky Bar at the Mondrian. We said, why can't we make caffeinated alcohol? Like, well, that's like great idea. Like nobody's doing it. Why can't we do it? So went back, worked nights and weekends, over two years, put it together. I left FAA with the support of my with the support of the administrator, who's a dear friend, Marion Blakey. Garnett leaves. Her, she's actually was on a trip at the time. She comes back, joins us. Dan leaves his job. We move into a two-bedroom apartment on the Lower East Side of New York, and we launch this brand. And we build it on the street for you know three years, 45 markets, five international markets, and we really learn the business. And it was an incredible experience. And that was our first foray into the alcohol business. Is it still out? I mean, I could use caffeine and alcohol at the same time. It is not. Here it is. Could be one of the greatest inventions of all time. So it was the beauty, the, the incredible story behind this is we sold the brand in 2009 and um, we sold it to private equity at the time. And, you know, the short, the long and the short of it is, you know, it was not a great success story. You know, we were we were raising capital to build the brand. 2008 hit, which, of course, was, you know, the time when we're raising money from a lot of high net worth individuals building this brand. It's fun. And then all the fun money dried up. And so it was either we were going to continue to scrape along and build the brand at this rapid pace because we built a very large brand or we were going to sell it. And we made the decision to sell it. And, you know, at the time, no, there wasn't the con- real controversy with caffeine and alcohol. About a year after we sold the brand for Loco, and you know the story there, it was a disaster. I mean, it's a real mess in the marketplace. And so we had a, you know, we had a great, <laughs> yeah, exactly right, Zeke. I mean, you know, right? He was like, dodged a bullet on that one. <laughs> you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, we sold the brand and we had a, you know, what's called, you know, a, a tail on the sale so that, you know, you recoup, you know, a lot of your, you know, your payback, you know, in future years as the brand grows. But after Four Loco created the mess, the FDA got involved and that was the end of the caffeinated alcohol segment. And what do you do with that? Well, I, and I think you've heard the, you heard this all the time. You, you learn more from your failures than you do your successes. And while I would not call Pink a failure by any means, it was an incredible learning experience. And we took that knowledge and we moved forward. And that became a, a big part of the foundation for our next move, which was then you know, ultimately into the Bardstown Bourbon Company. And I think that's one of the things that I think goes under the radar so much. And if you're a business person and you're looking for business things, the way that Bardstown Bourbon Company was set up, it is a huge, massive organization, but it was not set up to be in the red for very long. And the way that the contract distilling was just a part of it, the collaborative distilling, that whole effort, it was getting money in the door while you were waiting for the bourbon and whiskey to age and come 
to maturity where you could start to incorporate it into other things. But at the same time, you were taking on money. It's not like y'all were sitting there going, all right, we have this huge distillery. We got to wait. We were cash flow positive day one. I mean, it's an unbelievable story. And it's an unbelievable story. And it, you know, it's a story of, you know, it's a story of when you boil it all down in my, you know, my opinion, it's a story of an incredible team of people that came together. And I think, I don't know if this ever happens, you know, truly happens the way it happened like this ever again, but came together at this moment in time and all worked to build this incredible business. And the story of Bardstown Bourbon Company is an evolution. You know, it's a story of coming with one idea, immersing yourselves, seeing the market, rapidly moving, growing, you know, and taking advantage and seeing the opportunities. And it's a story of the construction company we partnered with, Busick Construction, the team we built here, you know, our primary investor, Peter Loft, and this, like this team, Dan Garnett, Steve Nally, John Hargrove, everybody that came together, Dan Calloway, at this time in this place, you know, you couldn't recreate this if you tried. But I almost feel like you are now showing a pattern. I mean, you you still have your ties with Bardstown Bourbon Company. I don't want to jump around too much, but you took on running the whole Kentucky Bourbon Festival. This was your first year doing it, or was it your second? It's my second, yes, and it will be my third next year. But you now took that on as well and completely made it bigger, but also added more things for people to do, really pumping that whole tourism hospitality aspect to it, you know, from the VIP area to specialty events that are happening at night to things that are even happening offsite. I think Log still even had a concert in the middle of this thing while it was all going on. The event that we saw you at with Kentucky Owl that was off-site. So not everything was contained in the festival area. feel like people are now poaching you between KBF and Kentucky Owl, like, hey, let's make magic happen again. Well, John, that's another great story of another group of people that came together, you know, at this moment in time and, and made this happen. And so, you know, for me, Kentucky Bourbon Festival was really about giving back to the community. And so this is something that I took on, you know, after I stepped down as CEO from Bardstown, you know, I'm currently an owner there. I'm not a board member, but I'm, you know, one of the, you know, one of the owners of Bardstown Bourbon Company and the co-founder, you know, I was asked to be on the board of the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. And it just happened to coincide really nicely with, you know, the time that I was taking off, you know, during my, you know, my period. And so, we faced a really big challenge at the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, and I, I spent a lot of time participating in the Bourbon Festival for five years, for criticizing it, for being incredibly critical. And then they approached me and said, well, you know, David, are you going to put your money where your mouth is and are you going to help us fix this? When I got involved, we were faced with a very tough decision. We were either going to shut down the festival or we were going to refocus and rebuild. And I say that, and that's not a joke. I mean, the festival had been losing money for years. It had got. This is no. This is no fault of any anybody. It's just it did not evolve with the way bourbon was evolving. It had become a festival that was primarily focused here with a smaller community, but it was not a festival that was really celebrating bourbon and providing an opportunity for a vast number of new consumers to try to try the products, which is what the distilleries needed to support something like this. And so we made the decision. It's too important for Bardstown, for the industry and the, for the community to let this go. So we are going to do the right thing and we're going to save it. So what did that mean? 
hire somebody that really knows how to run festivals. That's where we found Randy Prossy. Incredible find. We brought him in. We did a national search. As you know, you met, you know, Randy during the festival. You know, he ran, built the Gettysburg, you know, beer festival. He ran the Wisconsin State Fair and he ran operations at the Derby. We created a new model so that you would you would come in 21 and older, real festival, tasting, interact with the bourbon, with actual bourbon, trying it, experiencing it, getting more distilleries involved. You know, we redid the whole model for the festival. And that was the starting point for now. What we're looking at is the next, you know, we're 30 year old festival and we're starting now with the first year of the next 30 years. I think y'all did a great job. I think the whole like ticketing system with the media folks, that was a little confusing. I think the media folks should just get drinks. Let's be honest, right? You want those people to be posting it and talking about it and it's helping the brand. It was very confused. That part was a little confusing. Uh, Let me just tell you something, John. So there are a lot of things that are being fixed. So you'll, you know, you'll hear me preach this all the time. You'll hear Randy say it. I'm the first person to tell you that if you're not evolving and you're not improving, then your business is not moving forward. Oh, a hundred percent. But we have to take everything. So we just spent the let we spent the last, uh, since the festival, basically the last month and a half collecting all the comments, looking at all this and now beginning to prioritize what are the changes we need to make? How are we going to run that, you know, roll them out over the, like, what are the ones we need to make for next year? What are we going to look at the next year after that? There are so many issues, and and we don't like to say things we did wrong. There's so many areas for improvement because when you look at this, this was literally the first year of testing a brand new model. And so what, you know, what were some of the challenges we faced? Well, one, we had this in the middle of COVID. We had to, you know, we had to cancel it year one. We were, thank God we were able to pull it off in year two, right? Then we had historic flooding three days into the festival with like disrupted everything. I mean, that, that's a whole other story in and of itself. Right. And then, you know, we had issues that everybody else is facing staffing shortages, the store, you know, problems with shipping, getting things in. And we got two people on our staff. So when you take all that into consideration, I was, you know, I said this to the Kentucky standard right after I said, you know, they said, was it a success? I said, absolutely. I, t- I said, I'll tell you why. One, our goal was to save the festival. We did that. So for me, that was success. We created a new model. We got the distilleries involved. We sold out and we're moving forward. And that, as far as I'm concerned, was success year one. Now everything is going to be improvement from here out. And we want to get all the feedback, everything like what you're saying. Give it to us. We're going to make this thing better and better and better every year. It all joking aside, I 100% understand that you you have a lot of people to try to make happy. It was a little (laughs) bit of an inside joke because (laughs) Zeke was making fun of me because I would just go up to, I mean, I didn't have, for some reason in my bag, I never got the wristband. So I just had the media pass and I would just go up to the the booths. I'd be like, I don't know. I just got this thing. Like they didn't give me anything else. And then people would 
for some reason give me a drink zeke just kept saying edwards went and did it again i don't know what's going on but he just goes up and says like well can i tell you something so funny about that because this is like one of the fundamental things like we're struggling with for this next year is when you look at this whole concept of the wristbands and the tabs and trying to keep track of everything there's a great argument to be made that you have a one ticket price and includes all your sampling and we can point to like a lot of i remember from decades ago you know even when we were doing this pink vodka nightclub and bar show you pay one you know pay one ticket price you go around you can drink at every booth and so what you're basically doing there is you're saying we're going to put it on the people that are serving and the participants to just be responsible right so we're not going to try to collect tabs we're going to take we're going to put responsibility on the individual and the server you know and there's a good argument to be made that that's a much better model and you know especially for a festival like ours where, you know, certainly with this year, no one was out of hand. No one was drinking, iris- what I would say, irresponsibly. We had no issues in terms of people acting rowdy or, you know, over-consuming. And I think that, you know, with the kind of festival that we're creating, that is the environment where you could have this kind of, you know, all-encompassing ticket. And so, you know, we'll see, but that's something we're looking at. And I think if anybody says anything, and just so you know, Zeke has another six minutes before he asks a question. He is notorious for waiting 30 minutes, and we are at 24 minutes right now. So just if you are following along at home, about five, six minutes, Zeke will have a question I think it's the length of each day. Anybody who thinks they're going to show up there at 11 o'clock in the morning and they're going to last till 11 o'clock at night, it ain't happening. You're either showing up early in the morning and you're going home by the afternoon, you know, you're going to get dinner someplace, you're going out at night, or you're staying in like we did one day and watched Major League and then you show up about three o'clock in the afternoon. You know, we did both. That's also another great area that we're looking at now. Like, and you only learn these things from actually testing and doing it. So, you know, we're looking at that length of the day. That's another thing. Like, do we, should we be open at 11? Should we be opening later? Should we be compressing a little bit of that time? Do we need to be pouring that long? Those are the kinds of things mm. now that we're focused on. But considering what the goal was and considering all the challenges, like you said, food trucks that pulled out at the last minute because of staffing, there were almost all of them. I'm going to show you something really quick. You'll appreciate this. So look, so I made these for every one of the board members. And this says it's a piece of the carpet that was laid out on (laughs) the festival grounds. And it says, your leadership saved the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. And we made one for every one of the board members and the president of Busick Construction that helped us after the rainstorm came in and had the brilliant idea of going down to the local carpet store and buying every every foot of indoor-outdoor carpet. They came out with a construction team of 50 people, cleared the ground, and laid the carpet in four layers across there across the mud and that's what allowed us to have the festival and so like this was a great example of like the spirit that helped us get this done and to and it's and it's a testament to everybody that's on the board and our leadership at the festival 
it was a blast. We had a great time. My hat's off to you. The thing I will say is that I think that they chose you to have this position. And I'm not kissing your butt because you're on here. You know, one of the things that you like to do is bring people together and bring people in to collaborate. And what I saw was a lot of collaboration where you know, the way that it was set up, you have heavy hitters in the in the industry there that are all getting together and seeing each other. And you know, there are people from different distilleries out there giving each other a hug saying what do you have here what are you working on that was awesome to see the whole makers section is really cool where there's gifts and there you know it's like being at a craft fair as well as being at a, it's not just whiskey it's celebrating all the things that are around bourbon and john you really nailed it and first of all thank you i mean that that is something that i like to do um because i think that at the end of the day that's the only way i mean truly one of the best ways if not the only way you really create something great is by bringing everybody together. And particularly for this community and this industry, that's the opportunity for Bardstown and for having this festival. And it's this is one of the few places in the world, the bourbon capital of the world, where you can pull together so many distilleries, so many great leaders, so many great master distillers, and the community and create this experience that you can't get anywhere else. And I'll tell you, for anybody that's listening, get ready for next year. Get your tickets early. Go to kybourbonfestival.com. Sign up now to be part of our email list because that is the group that will be notified first when tickets go on sale. The tickets sold out in under a week last year. I would bet you they're going to go faster this year, even with more tickets. So kybourbonfestival.com. Get ready for next year. And we're going to convince David to do something extra with us. So like, just stay tuned. Dads are going to be doing something at KBF. And I'm in. Like, you guys name it. We're doing it. You know, you mentioned earlier, like, the day and night segment things, possibly. I think that's where you do John at day so no one falls asleep. And then night, I'll come out for round two and we'll get things really going. See, that now you got see. See? He spoke. That did it. You tell us. What we're going to do for the night, and we'll put it together. <laughs> Honestly, pure coincidental, like this isn't a, uh, a loaded thing at all, but I, I did randomly see an email as I was leaving work today promoting a, a barbecue, I guess, championship cook-off thing. So while we're going on KBF, I wouldn't want to not bring that up and, and give that some exposure as well. But literally just pure perfect timing as far as seeing it and then like, oh, well, we're talking to david later like shit i'm well, well zeke thank you it's a great announcement that's gonna be taking place around national bourbon day next year and what this new barbecue challenge represents is not only is it a great event and a bringing together of so many of the great distilleries and the teams that are going to be competing you know in the barbecue challenge and it's sponsored it's going to be hosted sponsored by the kentucky bourbon festival hosted by the kentucky bourbon festival and it's going to be taking place on log still site here in Gethsemane, which if you haven't been there, is beautiful. This represents really kind of the next phase in where the Kentucky Bourbon Festival is headed. Our mission at the Kentucky Bourbon Festival is to promote Kentucky bourbon and Bardstown as the bourbon capital of the world. And so it's not just about the festival in September, it's about having events all year round, which bring the focus to Bardstown and highlight what we're doing at the festival. And ultimately, we are gonna be doing events across the state, and potentially across the United States will drive more people here and focus greater tourism dollars into Bardstown. And it's a great economic catalyst for this industry and for this community. Thank you, Zeke, for mentioning that. Uh, no, no, I'd say it was just pure perfect timing. 
And I guess all I would throw out as well, regarding like the tickets versus the bands and kind of all inclusive type stuff, I would also agree. I think that's the way to go. I've always thought in my mind a whiskey fest versus a beer fest. At a beer fest, people can probably get drunk and maybe get a little obnoxious. At whiskey, they're just going to pass out or somebody's going to knock them out. Like nobody gives a shit. Let's move to a different side of the KBF. <laughs> that's, that's good, Z, because that's, you know, that's one of those responsibility issues that we always talk about. It's, you know, if you get out of control, you just get knocked down. And I, that's something that, you know, you, you see, see supported very often. No, it's a good point. And I think the broader point is the type of customer that we bring in in the whiskey community and for these types of festivals is a customer that is really a it's a connoisseur. It's somebody that's appreciating the product is going. And it's not about whatever term you want to use about over consuming, right? It's really about enjoying and tasting and trying. And it's about the community of people that are there. It's about learning. It's not about overconsumption. And, and we've seen that time and time again. And I think that our, our model, that's what we're looking closely could very much, ref, you know, should consider that type of consumer which is our consumer i think if anything they're annoying the people behind the counter so like what's the mash bill of this now what's the char that you use rather than like hey can you fill this up again exactly i think that's right i think 100 percent. like the people that would be there would be more hassled or nuanced by having to go like reload for tickets deal with that deal with a line there versus all right here's your ticket pr- price in the front end here's what you can expect like we all know and get it and I mean, literally, it wouldn't surprise me not to speak down on what distilleries or products might be there. But I mean, I literally think you'd see people more apt to be like, ah, that wasn't my jam. Throw it on the grass, go to the next booth right. versus like, ah, ah, you know, just throwing them back over and over. I, I don't see that. Right. Yeah. And that's the fun of it. And that's the beauty of it. And I think that, you know, this is something that we're looking at very closely because we want to make sure that we get this piece right. And We might not get it right this year, but over the next couple of years, we'll continue honing in on it and we'll get it right. Can we talk about something at KBF that was our jam? Absolutely. There was something that was going on at the same time of the KBF. And this was something that you had to leave and you had to go over up the road in the back where the parking lot was. And a certain brand called Kentucky Owl was announcing the release of the wise man. And it just so happened that Mr. Mandel was there. It just so happened. There was this, I knew Zeke would like this so much because it's actually called. You're talking about the 19th century fancy whiskey punch that was served at the Kentucky hour release party for the wise men. And Zeke likes fancy things. That's right. We talked about five times on five different podcasts after that. And we said, we're dying to have the recipe. But at the same time, I'm dying to know the backstory because the next day after this event and after that fancy whiskey punch was served, David Mandel was signing on the dotted line to go over and work at Kentucky Owl. So like there was some magic happening with that fancy whiskey punch is all I got to say. CEO of Stoli was there. Good vibes were happening. Everybody was drinking the punch. I think it was just good all around. You know, John, so it's great. I'll tell you, and it's, it's wonderful. And I am incredibly, incredibly honored to be part of the Stoli team. And it, and it's a story that kind of goes full circle. So Kentucky Al 
was one of the first customers that we had uh, in our collaborative distilling program. And it goes back to a great story of how I was introduced to Dixon Deadman and then introduced Dixon Deadman to one of our board members who introduced him to Stoli. And that was how the brand went from Dixon to, you know, to Stoli. And it's so for me, it's really kind of a great kind of coming together of everything of kind of the business I started, this brand that we produce for, and now getting the opportunity to lead the development of what I believe is truly the next most exciting project in the whiskey industry, which is the development of Kentucky Owl Park, which is, we'll spend some time here talking about, but it is astounding, is exceptional. And so for me, it is about taking what, we, what we've done already and going to the next level. But I know it, it's been an incredible opportunity, but one of the things that you know, brought me to Kentucky Owl was the new CEO of Stoli. Damian McKinney, who I've known in the past, I knew from my days back, you know, at Pink Vodka, and he and the leadership and Sabina and in Mr. Yuri Scheffler, who, you know, I got to meet early on, they've made some major changes at Stoli. They've created a whole new leadership team. They are bringing in some wonderful people, and they're very much focused on not only creating, you know, and what is already a great company, but taking it to the next level. And it was that leadership team that convinced me that not this was the right opportunity. And also it checked many boxes for me. Staying in, in Bardstown, you know, being able to support, you know, this community, the Bourbon Festival, you know, bring this project to Kentucky. And obviously my, you know, my other business in Bardstown is here too. So it is a coming together of everything. And, and it's why, you know, I chose it, chose to be part of Stoli, and I'm so excited to lead them to the next level here with Kentucky Out. Because I feel like for years, and congratulations for all that, I feel like for years, the Great Pyramids of Bardstown have been as mysterious <laughs> as the recipe for 19th century fancy whiskey punch that we still cannot get. Which you are going to get. I know we, I keep saying this, I'm told we're going to get this recipe. Oh, it's, it, this is a done deal. Man. You're getting it. I'm actually reading the description right here. Cause I pulled it up. Ingredients include the Wiseman bourbon, lemon tea, citrus infused syrup, champagne, orange bitters, fresh seasonal fruit served in a rocks glass. It is a 19th century cocktail in the same manner as a whiskey sour. We're going to get you the exact proportions. You'll be the only ones to put it out there. And, uh, and life will be good. I feel like a lot of people would love us for this. That's yeah. easy. Then we can make a lot of people happy with that. Neither one of us really tout cocktails too much, at least bourbon-wise. Um, <laughs> we both raved about this like, man. Well, the great team at Estes PR put this cocktail together with some fabulous you know, mixologists from Lexington, and they will give us this. We're going to put it up. We'll give it to you and you can spread it all around the world. Shout out to Tracy Green because she's awesome. But we, we talk about the mysterious pyramids of Bardstown. And I feel like for the past couple of years, there's just been these renderings, right? Like 
Stoley put out, like, this is what Kentucky Owl Park is going to be. Everybody was kind of unsure, like, when's this going to happen? Is it going to happen? It might not happen. I don't think it was until your name got thrown out there where I was like, oh, shit, this is going to really happen. So they know what you did with Bardstown Bourbon Company and in, in creating that space. Are they tapping you because of that? Or is that just an added bonus to hell? You ran transportation divisions for the government. I mean, you know how to get things done logistically and do them well. Is it just the totality of is it the preponderance of the evidence, counselor? that shows that you are the right person for this job. I don't know what the reason was, you know, but what I can tell you is it's something that I'm thrilled to be a part of. So are the pyramids coming? The answer is yes. And I think one of the things that's been most exciting for me in the last couple of months as being a part of this is getting to work with some amazing people that are already in place. So Shigiraban Architects, which, you know, Mr. Shigiraban out of Japan is an incredible, incredible, obviously he's a world renowned architect and his philosophy around developing structures that connect with the environment focuses on transparency, on collaboration, on sustainability. Do these words sound familiar, right? These are the values the whiskey industry, you know, believes in and supports. It's what I championed at Bardstown. I think this is the opportunity to take this with our architects to the next level. And so the property we are creating and developing out at the quarry in Bardstown is, I mean, it's incredible. And so, yes, the pyramids are very much in play, but we're looking at creating a whiskey experience that, again, provides the consumer this ability to become, to be up close and personal with the whiskey making process in an environment and a setting that is unlike anything else that I'm aware of in the distilling industry. When you look at that property, 420 acres, the majority of it now water surrounding this beautiful peninsula and area right in the middle of the bourbon capital of the world where you're using the water from this massive limestone quarry now to produce the product, you know, to help you know, drive the distillery and this kind of engagement between the ingredients and what we're connecting and what we're creating is exactly in line with where, you know, the modern whiskey consumer is. And so I'm very excited about the vision and where we're headed. I mean, everything about it from the architecture that you were talking about, but in the way in the renderings, the barrel warehouses are designed. I mean, when this is going to be built, this is going to be super, super cool. It's beautiful. And, you know, so if, when you, you look at Shigiraban's design, it focuses on the use, much of it focuses on the use of mass timber and kind of this philosophy of biophilic design, which means that your experience and your interaction and your feeling is very much changed in a positive way by the environment around you. And when you're surrounded by natural, you know, products, particularly mass timber in this case, you know, it has a, it has this positive effect on you. And so a very interesting philosophy. And so a lot of what he looks at is developing these buildings using mass timber. They're gorgeous structures. They're sustainable. They have, you know, they have a, you know, they have a really good positive impact in terms of the carbon footprint and carbon capture, all of these, you know, these important aspects. But he also focuses very much on recyclable materials, you know, creating recyclable buildings. So you look at his 
structures across the you know the world, and he's done everything from the Aspen Art Institute, the Geneva Swiss Watch, you know, factory to these really neat, sustainable, uh, recyclable projects where they've create housing in Rwanda, or they'll come in and they'll build recyclable housing for victims of you know hurricane disasters. So we're looking at that now for the site and say, how do we incorporate that? You know, for example, can we create some recyclable and temporary structures during the construction process to bring visitors in? So I'm giving you a little little teaser here that nobody else has heard. How do you begin to bring the visitor in, you know, and the influencer and the writer and come view the construction process as it's taking place in a way where we're using sustainable, recyclable, um, you know, structures to house people during this period. And then we can grind it all up and then use it in the construction process. This is kind of like the fun that we're having right now. So how long then, I mean, it, it does sound like a lot of fun, but how much fun are you going to have? How long is this going to take in reality to actually get this stuff up? Well, and, and so that John, that's a great question. And so what we're doing, you know, because I think one of the challenges with projects like this is you can get lost in kind of the magnitude of the whole thing. And so my approach is always, you know, let's, let's focus, let's do a couple of things really well. Let's build, let's evolve and let's learn and let's continue. And so that's kind of the, the structure that I'm bringing to the project where it's let's focus on building and a couple of things. We'll get those done. We'll learn and we'll go to the next piece. So we're looking at this, John, in phases and our goal is to get started in, you know, in very focused phases that line up with the business needs for Stoli, for the Wiseman, and for the additional products that are coming. And it's almost like I would look at it, you know, because I, I have a tech background, right? So it would be, what's your MVP? What's your minimum viable product to, to actually get things going? And then if I were treating this as agile, what's phase one? And then what's going in the back burner for phase two and three? And then even as you're going through, I mean, everything that's going on now with supply chain constraints and you're going to have to be adaptable and agile throughout this whole process. And I say, like, how long is this going to take to get it done? Knowing full well that you could find out next week that the steel and the timber you need are on back order until 2023 and you're SOL. So... A lot of this is just kind of, I think you have an ish date where you want to hit, but I think it's also good to set expectations for everyone that what you are going to get in the very beginning is not every little thing that you saw on that rendering that Stoli has put out previously. I mean, that's the, that's the end state, but when that end state happens, we don't know yet. That's right. And I think like any project, it's a constant evolution. And so- just as Kentucky Owl is evolving as a brand, as you see with the release of the Wiseman, which you were some of the first people, if not the first, you know, to interact with the product. And I'm really proud of that product because, again, this goes full circle. You know, we produced at Bardstown Bourbon Company 70% of the juice that went into that. And it's really a remarkable blend. And John Ray and the team at Stoli that developed that. But that's an evolution. And so Wiseman is an evolution of, you know, where Kentucky Owl has historically been, you know, with the, the Deadman family, and it's continuing to build on that great history. And you're going to see this continuing evolution of the brand, just as you're going to see this continuing evolution of the park. And that comes from 
being immersed in it, looking at it, seeing, you know, what you can do with it, you know, and what people need and the demand. There's, there's so many different components. And I think that's really the key to building a great business is continuing to evolve and being very agile. And that's exactly the approach that we're going to be taking to the development of the park. I'm interested in, you mentioned Kentucky Owl and the Wiseman and what's going on here. Now, is John Ray going to be pretty much the guy? I mean, Dixon is is no longer with Kentucky Owl. Is John kind of going to be the head blender and then work with other people when it's appropriate? Yeah, you know, it's, look, I'll tell you, it's it really is amazing to look at this. And of course, the Deadman family and Dixon has provided an incredible foundation for Kentucky Owl, obviously, you know, and this next chapter of Kentucky Owl is going to be written by John Ray and others. And so I think what you're going to see coming from Kentucky Owl without giving too much away is some really interesting collaborations. And again, this spirit of collaboration between John Ray and others. And, you know, and who knows? I mean, Honestly, John, who knows what the future holds? I'm not the one to you know tell you all because we'll see. It's going to evolve, and so. But what you're going to see is this really amazing you know series of collaborations that's going to kind of lead us into the future with Kentucky Owl. Constant evolution, transparency, innovation. These kinds of you know terms that we talk about also line up exactly with the Shigeraban philosophy in terms of design. I mean, John and I are more than happy to collaborate. We might need a little bit of notice, but generally speaking, we're, we're good to go. So uh, that's on the list, the dad's drinking bourbon collaboration. And so I think, you know, in the scheme of the next great collaboration for Kentucky Al, I think th- let's do it, guys. What are we going to make? We're trying to, in, in 2022, you hear it first, we're trying to brand more DDB. So we could do a, a DDB collaboration. Dad's Drink of Bourbon's just too long. I mean, it was catchy as hell when we came up with it, but DDB. it's too long. Yeah. So also, obviously, I, I would assume you don't want to give away too much like skew product, et cetera, wise for, for what the, the owl has coming. But park-wise, I guess what have been some of your bigger thoughts or hurdles considering, or at least I assume that everything's still going to be you know, distilled over at Bardstown. So you're going to have a distillery campus or park, so to speak, but no live stills. I'm not saying that's a make or break. I just think that from what most people think of traditionally, when they show up, they do a tour, et cetera, they have certain things in mind. You know, I think it'd be interesting to hear, um, you know, creative spaces where, where you're looking to expand in non-traditional ways of thought. Not to cut David off, from answering the question you asked him, but the still is in the rendering. So it's there's be the first thing built. Oh, is it? Okay. I, I thought everything was going to stay at Barstown. I'm sorry. No. And you know, Barstown plays a very important role as the collaborative partner for uh, Stoling and for Kentucky. Yeah, that's, you know, that is the basis for the collaborative distilling program to be able to provide, you know, custom distilling support. And so as, you know, we develop the next phase here, that is going to be very much focused on our own distilling operation. So the number one thing that we build at Kentucky Out is our own distillery. And okay. so these two will function together. And so, you know, what is that time frame? You know, that remains to be seen. But the first and most important thing that we build at Kentucky Out is the distilling operation. That's what we're focused on. That's what we're looking at. And that's what we're developing right now. And it's very exciting because we're really, you know, without, again, going too far into what our plans are, 
we're looking at a distilling operation that gives us a lot of flexibility that allows us to create some really unique products. And so it's not just about one individual style. We're looking at developing a system that will allow us to work with other distillers from other countries. We're looking at a system that will allow us to create different styles of whiskey and different styles, uh, you know, within that Irish style, whether it's Scottish style, you know, you, you can create a system that gives you a lot of flexibility in what you create. So this is where we're looking in terms of kind of the next level of innovation for us. And I would also think that it would be in your best interest if you're looking at flexibility to not necessarily cut off any maybe pare it down a little bit at Bardstown because you know that you've had whiskey now that is a few years ahead of whatever you're going to be putting out at Kentucky Owl Park for Kentucky Owl. And so for a guy that was at a company that likes to blend multiple years together, multiple mash bills together, it's not a bad thing to have some older whiskey hanging out there that you can actually blend in with some younger whiskey when it comes to time. You know, John, it's all the above. So there is sort of Bardstown for this, or, you know, it's all part of the strategy for Kentucky Al and being able to have, you know, whether you're wiring aged whiskey for blends, whether you're producing in different locations, whether you're producing at your own location, this is the future. I mean, it's not even the future. This is where bourbon has been evolving to over the last several years. It's where it's going. You know, it's, you know, it's an important component, particularly for a new and evolving company. You have to have everything on the table in terms of, you know, helping you create the assets you know, for your brand and for the company. I'm saying these things as observations. And David, I know you're not necessarily in the position to confirm or deny, but Zeke, I'm just throwing this out there for you. Pretend David isn't here for a second. I mean, being the only whiskey brand in Stoli's portfolio puts them in an incredibly unique position. You know, when David says those things like the Irish whiskey style or, you know, hey, it could be a a Polish whiskey style. There's all sorts of different things that are out there. And I think um, my guess is you are going to see a lot of different things come through Bardstown because it is a unique opportunity for Stoli to position themselves in the whiskey game. Having a 420 acre park that's connected to your collaborative distilling operation that they're also working with. There's just a lot of options for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I somewhere in my, my notes, you could literally blend these things to say directions with a lot of S's upcoming skews with a lot of s's and then also you know lifestyle branding we've talked about that you know a few times now recently just because bourbon whiskey whatever you want to go with as far as like the generic term it's evolved to that or at least is evolving towards that direction i can't imagine any entrepreneur would not want to take advantage or or seek that avenue david i I, I'll, i'll leave those as very vague uh questions you can pitch anything back you want i understand there's plenty of things you guys have to keep under the hat but um you know perspective wise those are things i think we usually enjoy just seeing like what resonates to the other side of the coin because just blink once if we're onto it you're definitely onto it but what i'll tell you is what i think is really really exciting for the future is what we're going to create at the park and what we're going to create at the distilling operation at the park yes of course bardstown plays a very important role you know, in as our collaborative partner, 
But the focus on innovation is going to be at the park, what we create at the park, you know, and the experience, frankly, that we create there. And that's where you really get into what that consumer experience is going to be like when you venture into the middle of this 420-acre quarry with a distillery out on a peninsula surrounded by water and you're using all of the natural elements there in your production and the stunning beauty that is there. And literally, this is one of the things that I've loved from the beginning of this project, and I stood out there during the groundbreaking in 2017, is there is nothing else like it. Not only in Kentucky, in the United States, I don't think it's too bold of a statement to say nobody has built, no company has built a distillery on a property like this in the world. If they have, it's certainly in the top three. But it is, when you see this, and, and so John and Zeke, open invitation. As soon as you get down here, you let me know. You get a private tour with me. We'll go out on the boat and we will go into the water around the lakes and you will see this. And then you'll have to report back to everybody whether I'm correct or not. But it is a stunning, stunning piece of property. Can we go around the lakes? and Most people, even the people that live in Bardstown and have lived here their entire lives because these lakes have only filled in the last 18 months. Remember, this was an empty quarry. Most people have no idea this is here. You cannot see it from the road. What you see from the road is like just a little tease. It's like it's nothing. You have to drive back, go into the property, and then it kind of opens up and you see it. And I would say, I would venture to guess that almost nobody knows it's there. I think we should do a podcast on site, just the three of us, and we could talk about it. You know, we, we could basically go mobile. I can hold and go battery powered and we could just sit out there on the boat and do a podcast together. If it's summertime though, for real, and we're on lakes, inner tubes. <laughs> we go on ice skates. I just want to try to kick John off of his tube and someone recorded it. <laughs> I'm stocky. You ain't kicking me off. I got long legs, fool. <laughs> I'm betting on John on this one. You do have much more of um, a chance because I can't ice skate. So if you want to knock me down, that's the time to get me up there. Oh, man. <laughs> no, I, I would feel bad because you crack the ice and you go in. Then I got to pull you out. Then I go in trying to pull you out. Then somebody's got to pull both of us out. The health implications are not good. David, aren't you so glad Zeke finally woke up? <laughs> yeah, things that get him excited. This is a good topic. Who's going in the ice first and where the liability rests? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's the little things, you, you know, bourbon's the bond that ties, but it's always, you know, secondary or tertiary. That yeah, I mean, Zeke is like he's having a good time. He's looking at all the risk factors for us. <laughs> I would say, David, in some ways, you said enough to keep us guessing. In some ways, you said it all. But more importantly, I I am very happy throughout the years to call you a friend. And I am very happy to see all these successes happen for you and and see good things happening to good people. And um, I can't, I I know this is going to be the first of many times you come on Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Where should people be looking for the Wiseman? Is that out everywhere now? It is rolling out across the country. It's allocated. It is, you know, it's an amazing product. And you know, I don't, and I don't say that very easily. I, I truthfully, and this is coming from somebody that's spent a lot of time trying a lot of products, especially ones that we created. I was really surprised. And I, I mean that in the best way, especially from anybody from Stoli that's listening. I was really surprised at how 
exceptional this product is. And it's it's complex, but it's also smooth. It's also also incredibly drinkable. It's got these great notes that give it a little bit of bite, but with this wonderful smoothness. And that comes from the blend of rye, wheat, and then the eight and a half and five and a half year old age products is blended in it. John Ray did a beautiful job with this product. I think it is, it's something that really you've got to try, you've got to enjoy, you know, and then make your, you know, assessment of it. But I, I think it is a wonderful sipping bourbon. But, you know, all that said, it's rolling out around the country. It's not easy to get right now. It's on allocation. It's selling out very quickly. But look for it. And, uh, you know, you'll see more of it next year, too. Yeah, no, I mean, for his, uh, you know, a first big splash of a blend and to do it on that size of a, you know, macro scale, like Bravo, you know. And I think it's great to see a Kentucky Owl shelfer. You know, it's it's been such a luxury brand. I think having something that's more accessible, that, that brings more of that community into the fold of, of actually being able to enjoy a Kentucky Owl product. I, I thought that was just a, a killer move by y'all and I and, uh, can't wait to see what else Kentucky Owl does. I know we have David up late and I know we could talk forever, but David, thank you so much for coming on. We can't wait to do it again and uh, we can't wait to get up sometime in early 2022 we will get up there and come see you and go tour the property with you well it's my pleasure first of all again john you know john thank you for the kind words you know i consider you a great friend too that's the beauty of this community it's the beauty of what you guys do i think we just spend a couple moments here just recognizing what you guys do because i think that is so important for the community bringing people together talking about products, sharing experiences, sharing opinions. This is what it's all about at the end of the day. And I, you know, I say this all the time to people, you know, this isn't about like critics and, you know, and criticizing products. And I think a lot of this gets kind of caught up. It's about people giving opinions and sharing and talking. That's what's great about whiskey. It's what's great about this industry. One thing that one person likes is something that somebody doesn't like and looking and hunting it, this is what I love about this is what, you know, you don't, this doesn't really exist in all categories and spirits, right? We don't talk about gin this way. We don't talk about vodka this way. You know, nobody's talking about like hunting and tasting, you know, certain other certain categories. It's very much a part of whiskey and the fabric of whiskey. You guys play an incredible role in that. And so. Bro, did you find those limited edition allocated botanicals? Exactly. Right. <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just different, right? And so hats off to what you guys have done, the community you've built, the followers. Anything you need, anytime, you let me know. We do anything for you guys. Thank you so much for that. And go ahead and find Kentucky Owl everywhere. You can find the dads on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Please leave us an open and honest review like we leave open and honest reviews about the whiskey we drink. David, thank you again. Zeke, where else can the folks find us? Most days, good old Nashville, Tennessee. But if there's a very cold front, icy front, et cetera, coming through, we might go get some ice skates and go up to the pond. I can only hope to see what happens. Cheers. Ciao. Thank you, guys. Thank you.